The impudence, the audacity, the unmitigated gall of those Knuckleheads of Liberty podcasters daring to voice opinions outside the mainstream of accepted thought. Listen, if you dare, it's angry, it's funny, it's even sometimes sad, but it's always based on freedom and justice, as you will see. Here's our host, Jason McPhee. Welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty, where we're bringing you people and organizations fighting for liberty around the country and in your region. Um, and today we have just that type of a show where we are in interviewing Andrew Lippian, who is a city councilman in the state of Ohio in uh, the ward of uh, El Ria, or excuse me, the city of El Ria in uh, Ward... Uh, <coughs> see i guess ward one before we get into the show let me introduce you to our panel in our upper left hand corner we have leon the word brathwaite last word in liberty he is a retired engineer in the state of california in our upper right hand corner we have our screaming eagle of freedom tim everett he is a pilot in the state of california and of course i'm my name is jason mcphee and i'll be your host and we in our lower left hand corner we have andrew lippian you know city councilman in ohio i'm a member of the ohio air national guard i have been for 12 years but my opinions expressed on this show reflect my own personal opinions and not the official opinions of the Ohio Air National Guard. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, well, let's jump right into the uh, interview. So, um, <clears throat> Andrew, as far as, uh, uh, you know, I guess getting into liberty and, and deciding to run for city councilman, you, you were just elected, I think, this last time. This is your first term, I believe. Um, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, so what got you motivated to run for office as a libertarian in Ohio? Sure. Well, that sort of foresees another question, which is how I, how I became a libertarian. But uh, I suppose I can answer that one a bit later as to why I decided to run. My wife and I settled in the city of Elyria in 2015. And at that time, it was hard to get a house. And we were very proud of the community that we were in. And as I spent more time in Elyria, it's, it's sort of your, the part of, of Elyria that, that we reside in, Ward 1, it's sort of like a, a beaver cleaver type of neighborhood. You know, if, if you can think of, you know, uh, postage stamp shaped lots, um, you know, well mowed lawns, children playing in the streets, uh, you know, out on the sidewalks. You've got, um, you know, one, one set of kids down the way that bounces a ball back and forth across the street. And it's a family-friendly neighborhood. And when I started to see the neighborhood decline a little bit in terms of safety, in terms of economic productivity, um, I, I began to assess why I wanted to run. And I noticed that my – excuse me just a moment. Um, while we're doing this, James, can you bring up the visual? Okay. So we lost Andrew just for a second there, but uh, this is the city council page. Uh, shows Andrew there. Uh, here is his Facebook page if you want to contact him or connect with him. And this is roughly where Elyria is uh, in the state of Ohio. It's real close to Cleveland. And of course, here's the Cato map. So just in case you're not familiar with where Ohio is, it's right about there. Okay. So, so sorry, uh, Andrew. Uh, I'm go back. ahead. Thank you. Okay. So uh, as I was saying, um, I, I started noticing that you know there there hadn't been there hadn't been options for people when they voted for city council. It was always you have one choice, and I was going to the ballot box, scratching my head like, "Gee, option A or nothing." Well, 
I wanted people to have a choice. And that was what inspired me. And when I started knocking on doors, I started hearing from people common themes. We don't feel like the city listens to us. We don't feel that they take our, our needs seriously. And it began to inspire me to want to be the kind of civil servant that listened to the people and was there if you will, their special connection on city council, if they felt like they didn't have a special connection to the city, I wanted to be that for them. I wanted to be their voice and I wanted their liberty to be given a megaphone. And so that's one of the big reasons I decided to run. Awesome. Um, you know, so is your, um, your area? Yeah, my area is uh, Ward 1 in the city of Elyria. So uh, we've got an Amtrak station in our ward. We've got a, a hospital. We've got a lot of small businesses and um, it's the Eastern Heights area. They call it the old Eastern Heights. It's actually probably the oldest part of the city. Was, uh, so in, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it a red, blue, is it a dominated red or dominated blue in, 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 your, in your, you said you only had one choice previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's dominated blue. So dominated blue, okay. Yeah, I believe the, uh, the city council seat was held by a Democrat. It's been several decades, as far as I understand. Oh, geez. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. that's kind of interesting because I was looking too at the uh, uh, the sort of the profile of the state, and it looks like, at least statewide, it's kind of dominated red in a lot of places. Is and uh, um, as far as senators and oh, uh, sorry, James, can you bring up the visual again? So. Yeah. So uh, essentially, uh, statewide, the. Uh, uh, the positions are, are, are mostly held by Republicans. And uh, as far as uh, congressmen, and uh, it's it's kind of split a little more leaning red and uh, senators, it's split right now, uh, one red, one blue. So um, uh, so it's kind of interesting to hear that you're in an area. I guess it's because of your proximity to Cleveland. It tends to be a little more Democrat as you get closer to the population center. That's an accurate analysis. Yeah. You find this in Ohio also in uh, Trumbull County. You find it in the Columbus area, the Cincinnati area. Major metropolitan centers tend to skew blue. Okay. Mm. Um, and uh, well, Tim, Tim, just, Tim, uh, you had a quest- Tim had a question. Yeah, I was just, uh, I, I was wondering if Andrew was uh, going to talk about his libertarian, uh, what made him turn more of a libertarian bent uh, and if that was part of his intention in that last soliloquy of his. Sure, I'd be happy to answer that. So I was a student at Oberlin College from about 2008 to 2012. If any of you have heard of Oberlin, it's one of the most liberal colleges in America. But I had, yes. And uh, I had the great fortune of finding a professor there named Timothy Hall. And he was not only a tenured professor of philosophy, uh, who was well-schooled in Nozickian uh, philosophic thought, as well as Locke and Hayek and others, uh, in, in, and also in, in, in terms of many others on the opposite side of the spectrum, brilliant mind. He was also the faculty advisor for a small ragtag libertarian group on campus. And they would bring speakers to campus. They brought Bob Barr, they brought Ron Paul, uh, they brought, I think, Newt Gingrich and um, John Bolton, etc. And I started getting involved with this group because I saw them as a counterculture group. And back then, you know, 
when you're young and you're out of high school, counterculture is exciting. So I wanted to kind of be on the tip of the spear for encouraging critical thought in Oberlin that maybe wasn't part of the heterodoxy on campus. And so I just gravitated toward this group. I gravitated toward Tim's classes and then became a philosophy major. And that's how I discovered Robert Nozick. Uh, that's how I discovered libertarianism. So tragically, my my uh, my friend, mentor, and former professor Tim Hall passed away in 2017, and I was overwhelmed with this thought of, okay, so he's left me with this schooling and liberty. How can I pay this forward now? And when the opportunity came to rise for city council, I decided to seize it. I'll be darned. And so, and so the uh, the libertarians brought Gingrich and Bolton to uh, kind of balance it out a little bit. Yes, Let's have a couple of warmongering uh, guys coming in here to the Libertarians uh, enclave and, and talk to them. Uh, that's just pretty good. I, I'm reading a book by Max Boot on, uh, on insurgencies uh, and, and so on. And uh, so, you know, I want to get everybody's ideas. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think it was called the Ronald Reagan Political Lectureship Series. And I think as far as mm. as the club's goals, it was to bring speakers that, again, didn't subscribe to the heterodoxy and could include um, <coughs> could, could encourage critical thought. And when I when he brought a speaker on campus that was talking about legalizing marijuana uh, and I sat and listened to that speaker, I began to turn more libertarian because I found his arguments to be to be superlative for why uh, there shouldn't yeah. continue to be a state uh, disallowance of, of, you know, criminalization of marijuana. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the goal of the of the lectureship series was to bring a, a wide array of speakers, but all of the speakers had in common that their views typically weren't the heterodoxy of Oberlin College. And remember, this is during the time of the Iraq War and the Afghanistan War. And uh, the students tried to protest these speakers. And one, one of them tried to do a citizen's arrest of Karl Rove and you know, these were interesting yes. times. They even tried yeah. to they even tried to stop our club from being able to bring speakers on campus, but thankfully that didn't happen. Well, that, that's that well, is not, interesting. Well, to, well, I was just going to say that's interesting to hear that the cancel culture was really brewing up back then, because uh, yeah. you know we've really been hearing about it for the last six seven years, you know. But uh, mm. uh, wow, <laughs> canceling Carl <Yes>. Rove. <laughs> yeah, guys, I, I had a front row seat to cancel culture, and when I left Oberlin, my thinking was, "Boy, I can't wait to go back to sort of the normal world, leave this bubble." And all of us now talk, all of us Oberlin alum and some former faculty talk about how Oberlin got exported to the rest of the country. And now we all live. <laughs> Wasn't Oberlin involved in a major lawsuit? I mean, I thought it was an issue of liberty, quite frankly, but in a major lawsuit that involving somebody trying to thief, steal something from a from a bakery or something like that. And it ended up, it ended up in a huge court case. Uh, Oberlin lost the case, which I was very glad about. But weren't, weren't they involved in something like that? They were. Yeah, there was a shoplifting incident at which is the mom and pop bakery that's been there for 100 plus years, staple of the small town. And it flared up the tensions that have always existed between the college and the small town in which it's located. And the students, uh, I think the court case determined that there were flyers being distributed. Uh, I think they determined that the, the flyers could reasonably be determined to have originated or be supported by the college that were libelous in nature and called Gibson's a racist institution. The college boycotted their products and the business suffered for many years. Uh, during the course of the litigation, two of the Gibson family died, uh, one from cancer, one just of old age, and it really took a toll on the family. So it was quite, it was quite a debacle in the local zeitgeist. 
Yeah. I see. Yes. Yes. It's just, it just seems absolutely nuts, you know, the idea that just trying to defend your store from shoplifting suddenly gets you labeled a racist. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. That, 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 yeah. that. That's unbelievable. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, you know, here in, in California, you know, it's the $900 roughly limit or something, right? They essentially let you take everything they that you want right? as long as you don't cross that threshold. And then, you know, they, they, they go after you if if, uh, uh, if they have the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, sorry about that, Andrew. You were saying something. No, no. Better not, better I'm not sure rob could... that Gucci store. Yeah. I'm sure you guys had a front row. Some of this too being out there in california but uh just to oh, say yeah. i have a bannock friend he went to oberlin with me he's now an attorney uh working for the texas attorney general and he also got caught shoplifting from gibson's and and he makes the point continues to make the point that he did his community service and he's thankful that he had the experience because it made him a better person he was a poor college student and he made a mistake uh but he yes. never tried to accuse gibson's of being racist uh against hispanics right. or anything that he just recognized that he got caught doing something he shouldn't have got, shouldn't have been doing, and uh, he was an adult. He owned up to it. Yeah, no, and, and, no, that's different. a good positive story in the end. It sounds like you know, yeah, of, of course. It. Yeah, um, it, it is funny when you talk about uh, you know these ideas and where they're coming from, and and, and like coming from Overland. I almost think of this as if you've ever seen the Donald Sutherland invasion of the body snatchers, I, I, I always feel like this is all coming right out of the Bay Area and it's spreading across the country. And and it's just like, you know, the, 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 the people just sort of, they wind up in this cult almost, you know, it's just yes, a, a, yeah. A, yeah, lunacy, it seems like. Uh, yeah, the an invasion of the body snatchers was based in San Francisco, was it not? Yes, yes, it comes right out of the, you know, first the, the pod people, it starts out, it takes over a few people, and it just grows to this mindless mob, you know, that is just, you know, turning society over one step at a time. But um, <laughs> aside from stopping the body snatchers, what other things do you, uh, will you be able to do in, in office? I mean, what, what are the things you think you can do in office that can help to promote liberty? Well, I can tell you about some things I've already done and some things I'm trying to do. Uh, so one thing that I've done is, as a libertarian in Ohio, as you guys know, I can't run as a libertarian because we don't have ballot access. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I ran as an independent because I had no other option. But interestingly enough, in the city of Illyria's charter, it states about vacancies. They were doing a big charter amendment push, um, and they were focusing on vacancies. And I read it, and according to the Illyria charter, if a Democrat vacates for whatever reason, they must be replaced by a Democrat. If Republican vacates same thing but if an independent vacates they can just be replaced with anybody and <laughs> i thought oh what a clever little uh, what a clever coup so i decided to focus on that <laughs> i made a charter amendment that if an independent vacates they must be replaced by a non-party affiliated or other independent replacement and it narrowly got uh, it narrowly failed to pass last year but i brought it up again this year and they passed it unanimously go figure and now it's going to the ballot box to be voted on by Illyria residents uh, this May. So that's one thing I feel like I've been able to do for Liberty. Uh, another thing that I've done is just elevate the citizens' needs and concerns to council. I want the citizens to feel like they're the council people, and I'm, I am a, a liaison for them, bringing their concerns and needs. And I feel like that is the most direct form of government I can get at the local level. That's where you can do the most impact with that. 
you know, uh, so I, that to me is a very libertarian oriented philosophy, but also I tried to decriminalize marijuana in the city of Illyria. It's an ongoing effort. I brought it before the council chambers and the, the law director had the police chief and prosecutors in there. And unfortunately I couldn't come to the meeting. So the entire meeting was spent, uh, beating up on a scarecrow. And, uh, and and talking about how if, if, we, if we legalize marijuana, there's going to be uh, there's going to be uh, people in the streets just smoking marijuana wantonly, and, uh, and it was a lot of alarmism. So this is an area in which I'm trying to massage through for them because I've spoken to each individual member of council, and they are privately in favor of decriminalizing marijuana. So now we just have to work on the public support. Yeah, you know, um, um, Andrew, you know. As an elected official, I mean, you you obviously involved in politics, and politics is the art of compromise. How how do you navigate the political world, given the fact that you have some bedrock principles that, of course, I'm sure you would not like to violate, but you're in order to get anything done, you will have to compromise. How do you navigate that world between your principles and getting things done for for the people you represent? Well, I've learned something about about uh, policies, and I was just talking with a colleague about this. Some policies that you bring to council are microwave-ready dinners. Uh, you don't have to think very hard about them. It's an I. You move forward. Other policies are more like crockpot dinners. They've got to sit. They've got to simmer. You've got to get <laughs> those flavors to combine. And what, I, what that means is, is it's sort of like what Bacon said. Some books are meant to be consumed, some to be chewed and slowly digested. So it's the same with government. Some policies I bring forward are going to pass quickly, like when I brought forward the concept of uh, adding a street to the emergency snow ban list when there's a, a weather emergency. Um, that one was able to pass pretty quickly, and I was pleased with that. Other things like what I have brought forward include... Uh, the matter of uh, Ukrainian refugees in the city. We have 16 refugee families in the county and four in the city of Illyria. And uh, that is an ongoing tabled item. Actually, we're bringing that up for discussion this coming Monday. So how do you achieve compromise? I was also able to pass a sidewalk plan because one thing I noticed about Ward 1 is the sidewalks were all distended and people were upset about it. So I, I passed a plan by collaborating with other council members that enables the resident to get uh, money to fix their sidewalk that they have to pay back through their taxes uh, so that they can have a more easy time fixing sidewalks that affects all the residents and the city can be a collaborative partner. And the reason I focused on that is because the city planted these trees in front of the sidewalks that the city planted and they busted up all the sidewalks. So my argument is, is the city has to take some responsibility for messing up people's property lines. I call the sidewalks of our city where the citizens and the city meet. It's the fence post where they meet. And I look at sidewalks as it's got to be a give and take. We got to collaborate with the citizens. So I was able to pass that because not only do most of my colleagues want to tackle infrastructure and streets and sidewalks, but also I want them to know it's it's just not my idea. It's, it's not just my policy. We can all take credit for this and accomplish it as a team. So that teamwork uh, oriented thinking is, is a part of how I, I get to that compromise with people. 
it's funny that you brought up sidewalks because that seems to be kind of a funny area for i i think liberty-minded people because the idea is that here there's a sidewalk that they expect you to take responsibility for if it breaks as the homeowner but on the other hand you know they tell you you have no right to restrict access to it or anything else so it's it's a kind of a of this this weird area and i i see it in california here uh, where a lot of times they will cite you if if there's some cracks or something else that they think are uh, a problem. And of course, they even restrict you from dealing with the trees here, at least in Sacramento. So if the trees are tearing up the sidewalk, then, you know, you're kind of, it's a, it's, it's just, yeah. <laughs> but if you uh, don't and, and die, if you don't, whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever you do, you, you end up in a mess. Yep. And when we're talking about trees, we're really getting to the root of the problem. Because <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I'm here all day. I feel, but the, but the reason that the root of the problem is because I look at the city as having been complicit in the destruction of the sidewalk, so that they they can't then justifiably come to the citizen and say you pay for all of it. I felt a strong sense of responsibility that the city should come forward with a plan where they can give them a hand up, not a handout. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Just curious. So, well, what what challenges did you face when you were running for office? Because this is something, especially if somebody's sitting here watching and they love hearing about what you're doing and the changes you're trying to make, and they say, "Well, I want to do this in my community." What challenges did you face, and did did you get help and funding from the Libertarian Party as well in your bid for office? Well, it's always a challenge breaking through as a Libertarian in any community. I think the local level is where you begin to make that change. I was fortunate in that. I had some support from the local libertarians. The support that they gave me was knocking on doors. They helped distribute campaign lit. And uh, and they continue to. In fact, they've told me that their number one goal for the county libertarian party uh, next year, if I choose uh, this year, if I choose to run, is to help me get reelected, which I'm, I'm very heartened by. And yeah, it's a challenge. What, what, needs, to, what needs to be done is liberty is advanced at the doorstep. Any candidate that yeah. wants to push for liberty, you have to go door to door. You have to meet the residents. My philosophy was I want everybody to know me. When I was knocking on doors, I heard a lot of people say, I don't know who my council person is. I've never met her. Uh, I tried to get a hold of her, couldn't reach her. I didn't want to be like that. Uh, I'm sure that I'll make mistakes across the road. I, I'm sure I have. But my big goal is I want everybody to know me. And I want everyone to feel like if they need to get a guy, they know a guy that can get it done, that they can get yeah. the city problems addressed. And, and that's their councilman. That, that would be me. So, is the Libertarian Party have some degree of strength in Ohio? Um, well, in your area to start with, um, um, in Ward One, I guess, and in Ohio in general, is there some degree of strength there? There is. Thankfully, at the national level, the Libertarian Party did a spotlight when I won. They told me that they didn't notice that I was running, and and it's true. I, I kind of just worked through the county party, but they were very delighted. I guess I was one of only two Libertarians across Ohio that election to win, which was neat. And they did a spotlight and they did a story on uh, Tim Hall and uh, on my concepts of, of why I wanted to be a libertarian and why I ran. So I would say that uh, that has been helpful. And since then, I've established more connections with the larger party. And hopefully they can uh, render some assistance again if uh, if we're going forward. I see. OK. Mm. Well, um, what what were some of the lessons that you took away from campaigning? Like if you had to give insights to other people who are running, uh, you know, how, how would you direct them toward starting the process? It's a marathon, not a sprint. And don't freak out at every little thing that happens across the way. 
just <laughs> stay calm and move forward. You're going to get attacked. People are going to come for you because anytime you take a stand for something, you're going to have detractors. Uh, there's power centers, I think, in the city. They're related to families. There's a lot of family names that have gotten a little dynastic power in the city. And I moved against that. And whenever you press up against problems and, and, and structures like that, you're going to face resistance. So my advice would be yeah. know that it's coming. Uh, and remember to keep perspective, keep the 110,000 foot perspective of this is a marathon, not a sprint. We got a long way to go. And voters generally, they pay most attention in for the election. Mm. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> well, um, as, as far as things go, one of the things that it was kind of interesting, you talked about there being mostly Democrats in your uh, in, in El Rio before. And I, I was wondering, is this something where as you've been there and you're showing what you can do as a libertarian and how your ideas, how your philosophy works, do you see any kind of erosion of, of maybe bringing people over toward your ideas within the council? I mean, do you see people softening in their some of their stances? Sure. Well, I've, I've heard, so it's Illyria, first of all, and I, it's okay, because oh, it's okay. We've heard a Lyra, we've heard a lot of things. Um, <laughs> uh, so have I seen an erosion? I would say that I have seen an increased engagement from people because they know I'm ready to engage. So, for example, I did a, a program with police. There's a lot of speeding in our ward, and it, it puts kids at danger, and I, I'm wary about the surveillance state, so I didn't want to go and put cameras up everywhere, but we have a shortened police force, so we needed to get creative. So what I did was is I contacted the police department, and it was actually when I was shadowing a police officer, he said, hey, uh, if I can get, if we can get driveways, people that can volunteer us to use their driveways, we can get some better positions on some of these speeding vehicles. So I just put a Facebook post up, said, hey, anybody that can volunteer their driveway, this is a way private residents can work in collaboration with the police um, with their consent, their full consent. And boom, it blew up. It was all over the local news media. There were cameras trying to find me. Uh, they were interviewing me outside my residence. But the residents are generally very happy that, that, that they can do that collaboration with the police, and we need it. You know, we've had some shootings. We've had cars running into buildings. I can get into that later if you like. But Ultimately, I have seen people take notice. You know, I wouldn't, the Democrats in, in my ward generally support me, and I'm thankful for that. They see that I'm not a party guy, I'm a people guy. So I put people above politics. And even though I am a libertarian, I am an independent. And as far as I'm concerned, everybody matters in my ward. And I think they feel that. I, I, I wanted to ask you, too, as we're getting close I, I, to the end of the show. Can I, can I just say something? I, I think libertarians always uh, and everywhere put people above politics. I think that's really a good slogan, <laughs> honestly. That's mm. so true, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well, certainly by not wanting to communalize everything, you're bringing it toward the individual. Yeah. So that's, that's certainly Correct. for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're getting really close to the end of the show. And so sort of in rapid fire, I was wondering, <laughs> with, with the success you're having, do you plan to run for potentially higher offices than this? And are there any last thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with? Well, you know, there's always future possibilities right now. I'm just focused on being a good councilman. That's my primary focus. But as far as any advice I'd have for other people that are considering running, you're never going to have the perfect uh, experience. You're, you're never going to have all the ducks lined up in a row. If you have a passion for your community and you think you can make a difference, just get out there and get your feet wet. If you don't win the first time, 
you've got experience under your belt. You can come back and do it again. If liberty matters to you, and it should, just go out there, pound the pavement, make your case, and never give up and never quit because liberty is too important. There you go. Well, th- thank you, Andrew, for fighting the good fight there in Ohio. And, um, you know, we're certainly glad that you're out there doing that. And um, we're actually, if, if you've enjoyed this show, we're going to have Andrew on another show real quick uh, uh, where we're going to talk about some other issues happening around Ohio as well. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us. And until the next time, stay tuned and stay free. Yes, indeed. Thank you. <clears throat> Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite podcast network, and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.